our father in heaven we on this day remember and pray in the spirit of nehemiah your servant we remember that you are a great god filled with goodness and generosity you created the heavens and the earth and you formed adam from the dust of the earth and fashioned eve from adam's side you gave us the beautiful thing called marriage and you gave a beautiful place because for them to live because you're a great and awesome god you gave to your servant abraham and his descendants the land of israel recently they have been attacked and we pray that the perpetrators may be brought to justice because you are a holy and just god and you protect and defend israel we, we praise you, Lord, that two of the hostages have been freed. And we ask for great wisdom to be given our national leaders about the wars in Israel and the Ukraine. We ask that the wars not escalate. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We know that just as Nehemiah knew that things were broken in his country, things are broken here, Lord. We have been deceived. We used to set days aside to fast and pray. Now we don't. We've been thinking we can do it on our own. We used to respect our government, but now we don't. We have sinned, and we are reaping the consequences. Have mercy on us, O oh God. We as your people, called by your name, need to come together. We need good leadership to pull our land together. We need to move of your spirit in our time. We need to work together. We see the trouble we are in. We have turned away, but God, we are turning back to you. We believe that you can help us because you are a great and good and awesome God. We believe that you keep covenant with your people. We believe you restore and redeem. Now we pray, Lord, that our hearts be open to hear the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God lasts forever. Speak to us through your servant, Pastor John, as he brings to us your word. Anoint him, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, everybody. Could you imagine if we all were praying like that every day for our nation and and for Israel. Thank you, Pastor R. That, that's, that was a really special moment, and I appreciate that. We're in our, we're in our Nehemiah series, as, as we heard from Pastor R's prayer. Um, my name's John Keeler. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you after the, the first service. Um, you, you know by now, I hope, um, that we are a church that's all about discipleship, right? We exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. And one day, you're going to start saying that with me as I say it. <laughs> We've also talked a lot about our goal. We're, we're setting out to create a discipleship movement here at Grace, something more than a program. And for us to do that, we need to have a strong team, right? To have a winning team that's all focused on the same goal, each one of us doing our part. And our level of strength and connectedness that we'll feel here are, is going to be directly in proportion to the level of engagement you bring here. And that's a lesson I learned um, 
you know, r- roughly 15 years ago, and, and it, was, it was always easy for me to feel connected in a church, always. Why, why do you think that is? My dad was a pastor. People had to like me, or, or they hated me. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I always felt connected. I always had a place. You know, always, um, my wife and I were always able to kind of jump in where we wanted to, and it was, it was exciting. So about 15 years ago, though, um, we were, I was commuting, and it was getting to be about an hour and a half each way. Anybody ever have a commute like that? Isn't it lovely? Five years go by. We had our first child, and it was like, okay, one kid, I come home, and I play with him, and I have all my focus on him. But then we were pregnant with our next, and it was like, okay, I think, I think this commute is enough. I don't have enough time. So we, we, were, we were holding out for so long because we, were, we loved our church. We wanted to stay at our church. And, that was, and how many of you are commuting because you want to stay with your church, right? That was our heart. We, we didn't care about anything else. We wanted to, to stay connected to that church, but we had to leave. It was, God was kind of really uh, laying it on my heart. My job was you know, more demanding, the commute was getting longer, everybody had the same idea as me, drive up to Pennsylvania, Maryland's too expensive. So we moved, and um, even before we moved, we started looking for churches everywhere, and I know you've probably gone through that too, right? Searching and searching and searching and broadening the net, and again, you know, thinking of all the parameters, the things that we're looking for, and we, we just it was like Goldilocks, right? One was too big and one was too small and this one was too this and that. And I mean, I, I don't want to be, I, we were picky. I'll, I'll admit it. Okay, we were picky. You know, when you grew up with like the church, the same church all the time, you know, it's really hard to fill that, that void. But we tried. We tried and we tried and every time we were disappointed. And finally we landed somewhere where we were kind of comfortable, felt like there was a lot of promise there. But months went by, and I didn't feel connected. I didn't feel connected. I was like, this, I don't know. So, we, so I was kind of like secretly looking. I think she was secretly looking, and we were like doubting. And I kept praying like, why do you have us here? Why, why would you have us here if this, is, if this is it? Like if we're not going to be connected, we don't feel like we're part of this team. So I kept praying, Lord, you know, like you know, one of these pious prayers, what? Show me the answer. And he's like, it's right in front of you when you get up and you look in the mirror. It's you. And I realized after praying and, and humbling myself, it was me. I, I was holding back. I was holding back myself. I didn't, I didn't want to let go of what I had at the other church, the relationships. Like I was looking for, you know, exactly what I had before instead of saying, this is a new family. This is a new body of believers that needs me in some way. And so, you know, as I started to realize that, that, that I wasn't investing myself. I wasn't really coming to, to many things. I came to, on Sunday, maybe a Wednesday night, you know, and I did a, a few things. But, but, you know, I think you all know it, casual, you know, attend, attending, casual investment in a church body, that gets you nowhere. You're, you're never going to feel connected and never part of a team. You know, and as a believer, the lesson I learned through that is that, you know, we are meant to be disciples of Christ, and that is a collective effort. That's not an individual effort. It's for each of us 
to look and, and, and realize that it's about the team. It's about the strength of the team. We don't get that message as clearly in our Bible as we read it today because we come from an individualized kind of society that it's all about me. I, you, know, you grow up and your parents are telling, what do you want to do? What's your career choice? What's... But in the culture of, of the day when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he was commanding them, they were on a mission together. It was a collective team and they were only as strong as their weakest link. And that is the same point that we need to know here. We're only going to accomplish great things if we're all in it together. If we're all investing, bringing everything we have to the table and making it a priority. And that's what Nehemiah knew. And you know, they had ambitious plans. They wanted to build a wall. And we have ambitious plans. We want to build a discipleship movement. And what Nehemiah found out is that a strong team was the only way to accomplish their goal. And as I said, that's what it's going to take for us to get there as well. And, and here's the interesting thing. Nehemiah was way before his time. All these management gurus, you know, write books. I, you know, we've, who hasn't read about you know, 20 different leadership books about every, every topic you can imagine. And what they write about, they have discovered these four new principles or five new principles or these three things in leadership. But Nehemiah knew it from the beginning. He knew that the key to having a strong team, all right, it's really basic. It took encouragement. It took passion. It took teamwork and sacrifice. Those are the four things we're going to look at today as we turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 3. So turn with me and, and we'll get started. I'm going to just briefly, a couple minute uh, recap on where we were. We, we saw last week that Nehemiah, you know, he arrived in Jerusalem. It's his first time there. And three days after he arrives, he gets on his donkey and he sneaks out at night. Seems weird. But he sneaks out because it's his first time there. He wanted to assess the, the, the uh, conditions of the wall. He took a few people with him. But he didn't make his plans known. He, he just really wanted to take his time. Um, you know, he already had an idea of a plan. But now he's looking at these crumbled ruins in places he couldn't even pass. And so it was worse than he really expected. And so, you know, he wanted to get a lay of the land, figure out, you know, what was going on. He knew that this task was going to be great. It was going to be daunting. And he also knew that the people were immobilized. Do you know why? They were completely immobilized. Because they had tried to rebuild over and over again, and they had failed. For 75 years, they had tried. And their enemies defeated them every time. And so, if you've ever... I, I don't know if you know someone who's, um, you know through a disaster, a fire, a flood, something really, you know, traumatic, what happens? They're in a state of shock, right? They're paralyzed. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to start. They need help and they need a fresh start. And so Nehemiah knew that in order for his plan to work, he needed to create a whole new environment. He needed a new plan to boost morale. And that was the only way that he could snap them out of that complacency and paralyzation and get them to work on the plan. And so, as we look at the chapter, um, you know, it's interesting. If you, if you open up uh, chapter 3, 
What you, what you read in the 32 verses there is a detailed account of everyone responsible for building, okay? And I'm going to show you on the next slide. I, I have um, a chart, and don't worry, it's, it looks small. We're going to look at it in a little bit uh, in a larger section. But I wanted to show you um, the plan, the, the project, the wall, and then what it kind of a representation of what it would look like finished. And there were 41 sections of wall, 41 sections of wall, okay? Starting from the north, um, if you look at the Sheep Gate, which you probably can't see yet, but you will, but it's, it's up in the northeast, and it goes around, the, the whole chapter will go around counterclockwise and get right back to the Sheep Gate. That's how he described um, uh, the, the rebuilding. And... Um, so if we flip to the larger slide, there there you go. I'm going to read a few uh, quick verses um, to get you started. Now keep in mind, there is a quiz at the end. You need to know where these are. Okay, it's like those skeletal quizzes. You've got you to gotta know exactly the placement. Your reward will be great in heaven. Um, so I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 3. I'm just going to kind of give you a... a, a the gist of what the, the book looks like. Half of you probably know exactly what it looks like. I, I think half of you probably read it before you came here. The other half of you, I'll read it for you, just part of it, because we're not going to get into all of the, the whole 32 verses. But we, we, we read, um, Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zakur, son of Imri. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah, and they laid the beams, set up the doors, and installed the bolts and bars. That's really exciting stuff. I should just keep going. And believe me, this is in the New Living Translation, so that's supposed to kind of spruce it up into our common language. Um, but imagine if I read this in the King James, you guys would be, more of you would be sleeping. So I'll have to admit, you know, at first glance, it does not look that exciting. I know many people are tempted to just skip right over this section, just like those genealogies or parts of numbers where you're just like, uh, yeah, I did that in my Bible reading plan. Um, but, I, I, and, and I know, after Pastor R was, you know, you were covering chapter 2, there's enemies, there's arguments with enemies, he's rallying the people, you know, sneaking out at night, and then, uh, you know, next week, Pastor R is going to hit on chapter 4, there's mounting tension, there's an imminent attack, people are like working with swords in their hands, and then we have names, and I got stuck there. But <laughs> it happens when you're the new guy. <laughs> but, but, but trust me, this one, this is going to come back and bite you. This is a good chapter. In fact, it's one of my favorites now. Um, exactly. <laughs> but no, what, in all seriousness, it, it's amazing, because I did at first think, oh, boy, this is quite a chapter to cover you know, a lot of names, it's going to get a little confusing, but, but it's, it's amazing. You know, I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I just kept reading it, and then I listened to it, read it in another translation, and kept going and going, and many of you, I know there's a lot of um, ladies' Bible studies 
that are doing the same thing. You're reading, you're studying, you're digging in. I know people have charts that I have to see because it sounds like there was some good discussion. But the more you put in, the more you get out. That's what it's amazing about God's word. It never returns void. It's always producing fruit, and it's profitable for everything we need in life. And so, you know, yes, it takes the time and effort. And I encourage you, because we're not going to go through all 32 verses, but take your time. Go back. I would be curious to see what themes you pull out that I didn't have a chance to cover. Because I, I told my wife, I'm like, if I had four more weeks, I would preach an entire, like, leadership series on this. You know, Nehemiah was an administrative genius, and this chapter proves it. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. But we will um, pick out a lot of really encouraging and important work. So essentially what we see in Nehemiah 3 is the implementation of the strategy that Nehemiah had to build the wall. Okay? And to accomplish what I would consider something extraordinary. Now, keep in mind, they built the wall in 52 days, the same project that couldn't be done in 75 years. Now, that's a contractor I want at my house. Because if anybody knows them, I'll take them. But, you know, of course, part of, the, the, part of it was God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty always plays a role in everything we do. But it also was their hard work and a strong team work ethic. They faced the same opposition, the same limited resources as everybody and every attempt before for the previous 75 years. But somehow, they had the secret to success, as we said. And so as we look at these four principles today, and, um, and we think about what Nehemiah did and what environment he built, that's the same thing we're trying to accomplish here. And so look at each of these four principles. Note, you know, in your outline, in your bulletin, your prayer journal, what do you need to work on so that you can help strengthen this team? What can you do? Because I have news for you, and, and, and we see it, you know, on a physical level, um, you know, in Israel, and, and, and we know we're, we're at a place in time where the enemy's attack is mounting, right? On, an, on a broad level, he wants to keep us from being a strong team here. There's nothing more than he wants, he wants to do than to, to stop us from being a team on a mission to make more disciples of Christ. And there's nothing more that the enemy wants to do than to trip you up in your spiritual life. He doesn't want you to build. He doesn't want us to be strong. But we're not alone. We're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit, each of us, inside of us, but we also have each other. And, and the first principle we need to focus on together is encouragement. It Really, it's, it's the easiest one to overlook and one of the most valuable. I'll tell you, what you'll realize when you read chapter 3, end to end, is that the whole book is a book of recognition and encouragement. It's one of the purposes it was written. In fact, here's the interesting thing. It was written and placed, Nehemiah placed it before the work began. As we'll read in 4 and 5 and 6, the work doesn't even get completed until chapter 6. But he put it in the beginning... He wanted to emphasize how important it was to encourage the workers right in the beginning when the work was starting, because it was that important. And so he lists 38 people and 42 groups. 
He knew them by name. He knew what they accomplished, how important they were to the project. And he knew that it was a team effort. None of this could have been accomplished without everybody working together. And so, you know, for me, it's an encouragement that, you know, Nehemiah was a leader of people. He was a people person. He was an encourager. And, and you know, I don't know about you when you work at companies, um, you know, one of the top three, every company, I don't care which one it is, every work survey you see, encouragement is at the top of the list of success attributes for any company, of places you want to work, right? Do you want to have a job where people recognize when you work hard? I do. And, and we want to recognize each other here, too. And I'll say this. You know, it's, it's difficult, but we have to slow down. We have to take time and encourage each other. Mutual encouragement is a key. Because not only do you need encouragement yourself, but you need to actually encourage other people. That's part of the process. And First Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are doing already. Encouragement builds us up. It gives us the strength we need when we're beaten down, right? Have you ever been kind of in the dirt or feeling unappreciated and someone just comes along and just gives you just that encouragement or writes you a note? It just gives you that extra energy you need. And it's going to help us here if we take the time you know, and we recognize people, think about it, recognize the people who are watching your children. Recognize the people who put in the effort to bring the socials together, to clean the facilities. Like, there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot that happens. Your small group leader who prepares and brings a message. You know, there's a lot that goes on in this place that we need to recognize. But we also need to recognize people individually. We need to look for the people who have been building or rebuilding their spiritual life and take the time, not at the end, but while they're rebuilding, while they're making progress. Encourage people like, hey, I see that you're doing this. Or, hey, it's great that you showed up. This is really going to help you. Come alongside someone and encourage them. And Hebrews um, 10, 24 through 25 gives us kind of an urgency about it, right? The writer says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. Here it is. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. As Christ's return draws nearer and nearer every day, it is our privilege, our honor, and our important job to motivate and encourage people in their walk as it's getting tougher and tougher, isn't it? It's not easy out there. But that means we have to take time. We have to be meeting with each other. We need to be spending more than just Sundays together. I don't know how well you get to know the person you know, right next to you, but that's not how you're going to get to know people uh, here in this congregation. That's not how you're going to feel part of a team. So we need to encourage each other. We need to take the time and, and spend the effort. Um, ask yourself. So think about it. You know, how are you doing in this area? And really think, you know, are you more apt to be critical or encouraging? You know, my, uh, one of my mentors used to say, 
you know, John, the best thing you can ever learn is encourage nine times for every one time you give an, a criticism or you know, something to work on. You need to encourage your children that way. You need to encourage others that way. You know, if we spent more time focusing on the good, right, we'd see how good people really are and how great they're doing. But think about it. Have you spent the time recently to write a note or a text or, you know, pick up the phone? Have, have you ever heard the name Barnabas? Acts 4.36, we learn that Joseph was renamed Barnabas. That's why I named my son Joseph. I was hoping he'd be an encouragement, and he is. Um, but Joseph was re- renamed Barnabas. Do you know who he was renamed Barnabas uh, by? And, and Barnabas means son of encouragement. It means son of encouragement. The apostles renamed him son of encouragement. Could you imagine what kind of a person he was that the apostles would would think so greatly of him and name him him Barnabas. And I think of many of you in this church, and I, and I thank you for, for what you do here, the value you bring in being a Barnabas to others in this church. And I want all of us to be focused on that. Think about what can you do this week? Write down in your, in your bulletin, in your, in your um, prayer journal, write one name down that you want to recognize, somebody that you'll either text, you'll write a letter. You know, for me personally, I have to say, I'm standing here today because of the encouragement of people who saw something in me that I didn't. And I think a lot of you could say the same thing. And, and it's so encouraging, you know, to, to have someone come alongside of you and just kind of give you a nudge and just, you know, if affirm where your spiritual gifts are. Affirm that you're, you know, you're walking in your calling. So we, we all need to encourage others. The second thing is we need to be focused on our purpose. Focused on our purpose. Everyone in this room, I can imagine, wants to find their purpose or be connected to their purpose or have purpose, right? And if you think about it, as I mentioned before, after 75 years of failed attempts, somehow... Nehemiah inspired this group of people to complete that task in 52 days. It's amazing. How did he do it? He connected them to their purpose. He brought them up out of their own defeat. He showed them that it's not about them. It's not about their own uh, wealth or glory, but to bring glory to God's name and to claim his promises. He promised to restore them in their land, and they were there. He promised to bring glory back to his name, and they were not believing those promises. He restored their confidence in God's promises, gave them purpose, connecting them to their work. And you know what happened? You know what happened when they had purpose like that? You read all throughout chapter 3, there are story after story of people building with passion and dedication. And one of my favorite ones um, that I want to read for you can easily be overlooked. It's one man and one word that, that draws special attention. We look in verse 20. It says, Next to him was Baruch, son of Zabbi, who zealously repaired an additional section from the angle to the door of the house of Eliashib the high priest. 
it says that he zealously repaired. It's really the only person that that name is, or that, that, that word is used. He, he built with intensity. He built his section, you know, beyond uh, just the average person. And what we don't know is what that really meant. I, I imagine, you know, I kind of am thinking in my mind, you know, guy hammer and chisel and all this, and he's like working, he, he's working all night, he's skipping lunches, he's putting in extra hours, you know, his, the guy next to him is like, what are you, you know, when are you going to take a break? No, 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 I, I'll see you later, I gotta, I gotta, I'm just going to finish this section, you know, he's committed, he's committed. How committed are you to the work of this church? How committed, do you, do you work with that type of intensity when you're in the nursery, when you're preparing for um, you know, a lesson for the student ministry, um, when you, you know, put your clothes on and, and get in the car and, and are planning on greeting people at the door or, or helping to usher or anything you do. Are you working with intensity? I mean, think about the fact that, you know, these people were working on an actual grunt work project and they saw immense purpose in that. And you know what, when that happens best for each of us? You know when you will find that elusive purpose in life? Do you know when you'll find it? When you're serving in your area of giftedness, spiritual giftedness. Each one of us who are believers are gifted by God in his spirit with spiritual gifts that are meant for the building up of this body of Christ. Every one of us. And every one of us, and most of us, it, it won't even have anything to do with your profession. You know, at times... It's something completely unrelated. And so think about that. If you are connected in your area of spiritual giftedness, you will find the purpose that God has for you here. And you'll be serving with joy. Now, on an individual level, here's, here's what's interesting as well. That type of intensity that Baruch showed, sometimes we need that in our individual lives, in our spiritual lives, Right? You know, yes, of course, on a collective level, but individually, think about it. If you have a broken down relationship, if you have stagnation in your spiritual life, you need to build like Baruch, right? If you have credit card debt that is mounting and you're on track to pay it off when you're roughly 95 years old, you need to stop and start rebuilding like Baruch. If you have an addiction that is hampering your relationship with your family or anything else in life, if you are unhealthy in any other way in your words, in your actions, in your thoughts, you need to stop and rebuild like Baruch. I was going to wear a shirt that said that today because I think each one of us in some way needs to pick something in our lives where we rebuild like Baruch. Get the intensity back. Because spiritual apathy is really the uh, precursor of spiritual defeat, right? A broken down wall, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, you, you, you leave them in ruins, and, and what happens? Spiritual apathy. It slips in there, and you don't even realize it. So we need to rebuild with passion. And another group that rebuilt with passion, um, I love this one, Verse 313, the valley gate was repaired by the people from Zenoa, led by Hanan. They set up its doors and installed its bolts and bars. Here's, here it is. 
they also repaired the 1,500 feet of wall to the dung gate. And no, I don't have any better jokes than he did on dung gate. So I'm just going to focus on the fact that in addition to the valley gate, these people repaired five football fields worth of wall. Could you imagine working next to those people? Like, they would have been going crazy. Like, wow, you, you really want to take that on? You know, don't you want to just give part of that away? They jumped in. They worked enthusiastically. They came in early. They worked late. And that's who I love working with here, too. Those who are here because they want to. They want to be here. They're passionate. You know, Romans 12, 11 tells us, work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Enthusiastically. You know, we don't have to look for purpose like the world does. The world will never find its purpose apart from God. The world will never find its purpose apart from Jesus Christ. But we have that. And everything we do can be for the glory of God. Everything we do can be spiritual. Anything you do, your work, changing a diaper at home, cleaning a toilet, it can all be for the glory of God. We can do work with purpose. Now, as I said, you know, our staff, we love the people who are connected to their purpose. It makes the, light, the, the work lighter. It makes it more fun. I want to honor my wife. I think, you know, examples like my wife, Julie, she has a full-time job, and yet she comes here, and she gives her all, and she, you know, uses her spare time, um, and it's not a lot, but she gives her passion to the Lord here, and she works on her discipleship progress, and she's always um, thinking, planning, organizing. She's the one that kind of put together the notebook um, that we're using for Nehemiah. A lot of what she does, you probably don't even know, but um, I want to commend her. And really, I, I want to commend all of you who are serving with that type of purpose. As I mentioned, it's all about connecting with your spiritual gift. So if you don't know what it is, we have a spiritual gift survey. You can complete it. There's a ton of them out on the website, like on, on the web. But find what your spiritual gift is. You know, write a to-do on this part of your bulletin. I'm going to fill out the spiritual gift survey, or I'm going to connect with my spiritual gift. Now, the third principle is teamwork. That sounds easy. But there's all kinds of people listed in this chapter. You read through it. That's, again, what, some of the themes I, I saw. Tons and tons of people, different you know, skill sets, everything. And they all came together with the same purpose. They all worked with purpose. And it all started with their leaders, which I love to see. Um, verse 1, it says that Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of, of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel. So think about it. Has anybody watched like Chosen or like a, a Jesus movie or anything? You see the priest, right? The high priest? Did he look like he was in jeans and a t-shirt? Like high priest, he's got this big, you know, hat. He's got all kinds of expensive embroidered clothes. The high priest and the other priests were out there getting their hands dirty, rolling up their sleeves, getting their coveralls on, and working, building the wall, as well as all the district 
leaders were, were in this chapter cited as having worked on sections. They all got together, getting their hands dirty. And I, I learned this early. I mean, if you've ever had a, had a leadership position, you can't ask anything of your people that you won't do yourself. I had great leadership experience. I, I worked at one of the finest companies for uh, leadership expertise. They trained us. They drilled it into us. I remember one of the first jobs I ever had feeling a little important where I became a supervisor. And I remember my manager directly in front of me, you know, picking up toilet paper off the, the floor in the, in the room. And I'm like, oh, man, that's, you know, good for you. And he's like, hey, you know, if you don't do it, nobody else will. We got to lead with, by example. You know, it's, it's about leading by example. And that's what they were willing to do. And then we see um, several verses, uh, verse 3, 6, 13, and 15, you see these skilled workers and it talks about laying the bolts and the bars and the beams and da da da. If you've ever tried to set a door, you know, install a door, you know that that's not grunt work. You need some finesse. You need some skill. I, I don't try projects like that myself. But you know, I think of you here. Whether it's a musical talent, teaching ability, you know, people who are renovating this space, Paul Wareham and Sharon and people who are you know, spending time and their skills and their expertise to help, you know, beautify this place. We need skilled workers. We need skilled workers. And in verse 12, we see that Shalom, son of Halohesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. And that seems, you know, simple and nobody would pay attention to it. But this reference to his daughters is very unique in that culture. I mean, his daughters were all in. They were invested. They rolled up their sleeves, and it was a family project. And that's what we're about here at Grace Community Church. We're about family discipleship. Ministry is a family business, right? We bring alongside our children. That's why we have uh, kids lead programs, student leadership. That's why we help and have them serve. We show them that they are part of the team, whether five years old 55, 95, we're all part of this team, equal parts in Christ Jesus. And so it's important, you know, to really bring alongside and teach that work ethic to our children. I love that, I love when my, parents, my kids complain about having to stay uh, extra, you know, at, at church. Like they come in in the morning and they're staying for the second service and then we might have something after that. But they, they complain a little bit, but they love what they get out of serving and helping and you know, babysitting and jumping in and being a part of this, this church family. Then we read in verses 31 through 32. This is what I call the Habitat for Humanity syndrome here. There is a group of people who have no practical knowledge or expertise that, that they could lend to this project. None. Have you ever worked on a Habitat for Humanity project? Oh, man, I don't know how those houses stand up with, like, the teams that I worked on. You know, people were like, like no, no, the hammer goes the other way. You know, like, you're just, I, I automatically felt like an expert, and I have no <laughs> carpentry skills whatsoever. But I'll tell you, this, this group, you have got goldsmiths and perfumers and merchants. What? These people are, you know, used to doing delicate, you know, fragrant work. <laughs> but they're, you know, hammering, you know, stone. And I, I can imagine these guys, like, going to bed, you know, 
honey, you don't know. I really, like, you know, oh, stop complaining, you know. <laughs> but the, the work was tough, but they jumped in, and everybody, you know, that's what's part, that's what's great about being a part of this, this church family. We'll use you wherever you'll volunteer. You don't have to have any skill sets whatsoever, except for maybe on the musical team, you know, the, the worship team. We, we might need to draw a line there, but, um, but no, think about it. You know, everybody wanted to be part of the, the, the team. And, and how about you? Do you want to be part of this team? Right? Are you willing to jump in out of your comfort zone? Do you, do you use your skills that you have, that you've built up, your time, your talent, your treasures? Uh, you know, because we need every one of you. We need to all be showing up more than just on Sundays. We need to be shoulder to shoulder working together. So in this section of your bulletin, it's a challenge, Write down one area you see that needs help. Think about it. Is there any, anywhere you need help? And guess what? If you don't know, we have a, an email address that says getconnected at GCCFRED. Or, you know, you can ask me or Brenda or anyone. But write down an area where either just temporarily or, or, or long term that you want to help out. It'd be great if everybody did that. So... The last principle we'll talk about is sacrifice. Sacrifice, and it's the hardest one. We read in several verses, here's the interesting thing. You'll read through, and several verses it'll say, they built, and it was right next to their house. And then this group built, and it was right outside of his house, and so on and so forth. Not a big sacrifice. This was right in front of their house. So how well do you want that wall to be built that's right in front of your house, that's protecting you and your family? from the enemy. It was a smart tactic. You know, he, Nehemiah connected certain people with, you know, the place right outside of their house. But if you read in verses 2, 5, and 7, we read of um, people from surrounding towns. And I'll, I have a slide here. Well, Pete, let's go to the larger one. Um, we have a slide here. We read about people from Jer uh, Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon, Maranoth, Mizpah. These people commuted in from outside of, of Jerusalem to help. They wanted to be part of the work. And what's interesting, and we, we'll find this out more, I mean, this was a dangerous project. They were leaving their families and commuting and, and leaving them uh, vulnerable. They themselves were putting themselves right at the heart of the enemy threat, right? Just like it is today in Israel. These people were like, I'm going to go it's like you going and helping and serving in Israel right now, commuting in the place of the largest threat that you can imagine. And so these people commuted. They were willing to sacrifice for the mission. Because without them, guess what? This wall would not have been built. It would have never made its way in the history of God's plan. And that's what's interesting but it took sacrifice. 1 John 3.16, many of you know it. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus set an enormously high bar for us, didn't he? He gave up his own life in sacrifice to show us what real love is. And that is what we are meant to do. And sacrifice has such value 
Do you know that? Sacrifice has such value. The most important building and rebuilding that you will ever be part of in your life will be helping others and sacrificing for them. I promise you. You know, I think of, um, and, and maybe you can think of experiences in your life, when, when Julie and I you know, lost our first child, the people who were there in the hospital with us, the people who brought us meals from our small group, the people that walked with us for months while we were grieving and needed help and wrote a note and comforted us. Um, you know, I think of Proverbs 17, 17, right? It says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in a time of need. And, and think of, you know, one of the greatest examples, how many of you heard the group Prime Timers? Half of you are probably part of the group. It's, it's a group of um, people who are over 55 and are meeting on Wednesdays around noon. It's a great group led by Pastor R. And I got to join just a little bit of the, the meeting last week. And what's amazing is their focus on others. If you know Harvey McGee, he's, he's got an inoperable brain tumor. He needs treatments. And I got to observe and, and really see the joy that this group had in thinking about how can we help him? How can we bring him meals? Can we line up transportation? So they have all this, you know, they're coordinating it for the first 30 minutes of their meeting. They're coordinating all the care and the love that we can, we can give this man. And I had an experience like that too with a friend who had the exact same situation going to the exact same location. And, and to be part of the team that made meals, drove him, it was no easy task, I, I'll admit it. You know, you, I got there, I would dress him, feed him, you know, take him to treatments, stay all day, and, you know, and come back. It was, it was tough, and it was really an emotionally heavy thing to do, to see a guy that you know, I knew that was like 250 pounds, like a football player, shrink down to 150 pounds. It was sad, but it was the, one of the most meaningful moments of my life to be able to sacrifice for someone and, and to be able to be part of, of his life and his, his family's life during that time. Sacrifice is about making other people's problems your own. That's what it is. It's love in action. And think, here's, here's a challenge. If you and your family are emotionally, financially, and physically healthy, don't believe that God has you in that position to squander it on yourself. He wants you to use that for others. Think about how we can use that for others. Are you thinking about others? Are you taking the time and the emotional energy it, it requires to help sacrifice for someone? And, and here's, here's a challenge on this category. In your bulletin, write down the name of someone who's emotionally, physically, uh, you know, just with their job, they're hurting, they need help, and you're willing to sacrifice for them. Wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, as I said, if we did all of these tasks, if, if there were 300 plus notes of encouragement, if there were people banging down the door here asking to help, put me in. And if we were walking alongside of, of those of us who are hurting and who need help, what, what kind of a, a team would we be, right? And what could God accomplish here? Every person in every part of the project was extremely important 
for Nehemiah and the wall. And it's the same here. For the mission that we are on, everybody, every one of you is extremely important. And what's interesting is everybody that participated had their name written down forever in this book, right? That will last forever as Pastor R prayed. And think about right now, as God is writing his eternal story here, what will be written about you? Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you. Our great Father, our gracious and merciful God, we thank you for the gift of teamwork, of, of camaraderie, of, of, of this church family. We thank you that we can be a part of something greater than ourselves. We thank you that we can show up and know that we are on mission with you here, Lord, that there are others who love you, who serve you, that those of us that will have each other's back, that will help each other in, in difficult times, will encourage each other when we're run down and, and need, need help. Lord, give us a heart for each other, that we would love each other, that we would serve each other, that we would build and strengthen this team. I pray that each one of us will, will not leave here without committing to you, Lord, what you want us to do from this message, that we would encourage others, that we would jump in and help out, that we would come alongside of those who need an extra hug. Lord, may we see that we have purpose well beyond what this world offers. And we thank you that when you connect us with your work, you connect us with your purpose. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. And we ask that you give us a wonderful week together as a church family. Amen.